The Old Testament reading is from Malachi chapter 3, and this will be also the sermon text uh, Wednesday evening at the Advent service. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That, that theme of preparing the way for the Lord to come back home is a big theme in the Old Testament prophets, and we'll touch on it. Uh, it's a part of the uh, gospel reading here in, in just a second. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
Okay, so let's talk about the gospel reading this morning. It's an introduction to John the Baptist. Gospel reading starts off with uh, two and a half verses of historical info. You can see there in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He, he's the most famous one that we'll, that, that we'll meet here in, this, uh, in, in these few verses. He is, uh, he's the Caesar, right? He's the guy who replaced uh, Augustus Caesar. Uh, already in Tiberius Caesar's reign, the Caesar's being referred to as deity. This is something that Augustus Caesar started. He started to refer to his adopted father, Julius, as God. Calling himself, it's printed on uh, Roman coins of uh, Augustus's day, son of God. That was one of Augustus's favorite titles for himself. Tiberius refers to himself as deity, or at least uh, halfway deity. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea. Judea didn't always have a governor, but um, Rome, at, at the death of Herod, decided to send an official representative over to the province of Judea to keep control of things, to make sure that there are no riots and to make sure the taxes get paid. Uh, we'll, of course, you guys know this, we'll meet Pontius Pilate here in a few months. Uh, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. Galilee, um, um, Iturea and Trachonitis are up north of Judea. Herod's sons, two of them here, are still allowed to have kind of fake power. They're, they're kings. Uh, they're not really kings. Caesar's the king. Caesar lets them be there as uh, the technical term uh, in the ancient world is client kings. They're, they get to play it like they're king and, uh, because their father did a favor for Augustus Caesar at some point. But they actually, they're not Jewish. They're Edomites. And they're also working for Rome. Everybody knows that they're, they're in Rome's pay and they kind of do what Rome tells them to do. We'll see that at the, at the trial of uh, Jesus, right? Herod doesn't really have authority to punish Jesus. He's got to go to Caesar to get that, or to Pontius Pilate, represent, who's representing Caesar. Uh, Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about Lysanias. Uh, Abilene is up close to uh, Galilee. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Annas and Caiaphas are Jews. Uh, they're the high priest at the temple in Jerusalem. However, the people, uh, the, uh, the, the common Jew on the streets, not a really big fan of Annas and Caiaphas or any of the high priests. For the simple fact that Annas and Caiaphas are appointed by the Roman government to be the high priest. I mean, they're Jews, they're Sadducees actually. But they get rubber stamped by Pilate to be the official um, high priest of the temple. So they're Jewish, but they're actually working for Rome too. All these people are working for Rome. I mean, here's what Luke's, Luke's doing. He's not just like giving you a sort of a time stamp. Uh, the time stamp works. We know this is uh, either 28 or 29 AD. But he's actually making this point. Israel, Judea at this time, is under the throne, uh, under the thumb of Caesar. And they desperately long to be out from under the thumb of Caesar. And Luke is reminding the hearers that when the true king comes, the fake king is still in charge. Caesar's still there. Pilate's still there. The Herods are still there. Annas and Caiaphas are still the Roman rubber-stamped high priest looking out over the Roman-sanctioned temple. We're still not free. We're still longing for the day when God comes and delivers us from our pagan overlords. That's the cloud that's hanging over the whole Gospels. That's the back, that's the back story to Jesus' declaration of the kingdom. 
is this fake kingdom, which has enslaved God's people. Right? Into that environment comes John. He gets a message from God. The word of, the God, the, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Verse 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So you guys know this. John is saying, come out into the wilderness. Come to the Jordan River. I'm going to baptize you for repentance, for the forgiveness of your sins. And uh, a lot of people are going out there and meeting, uh, meeting him and having this done. What is this baptism for the repentance of sins? This baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It has to do with the story. It has to do with the return of Yahweh back to his people. Yeah, so, but we, we did this twice today. We, we read from Malachi. I pointed this out to you. This, um, uh, the, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So prepare the way, Malachi says. Like, get the road ready. Because God's abandoned us. This is why Rome's in charge. But God's going to come home, Malachi says in chapter 7. And so, uh, uh, um, um, uh, prepare the way for Yahweh to come home. And then, Luke's going to quote Isaiah 40, verse 3, which is John the Baptist's theme verse. It's the verse that always gets associated with John the Baptist. The voice crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Yahweh's coming home, and so... The only proper way to get ready for this impending return of Yahweh back to our house is repentance. To turn away from the way we've been being Israel and trust God for his way of being Israel. This is what John the Baptist is saying. This is what John the Baptist is saying. Repentance, I mean, literally means a turning, right? Both in Hebrew and Greek, the literal meaning of the word that usually gets translated repentance in our English Bibles is just the word for turn. To turn around. Like you're facing one direction, your orientation is one direction, to turn around and go back the other direction. And somehow, John Dapp says, by doing this, by, reorient, by, by reorienting yourself, by turning away from your way of being Israel, there's a bunch of different ways of being Israel on offer, too, in, in the day. A lot of them have to do with like planning revolt against Rome, things like this. Don't be like that. Turn away from your way of being Israel, your way of being human, and turn around and trust John the Baptist for the way that he's saying you should be human, the way that you should be Israel here. That's repentance. And the way that this gets, so actually, look if you would, will, uh, at Malachi 3, verse 7, which we read this a second ago. Uh, look at that uh, last verse. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Now, here, here's, what, here's what God says Return to me. That's just the word that usually will, will, will get translated repent. Repent to me, and I will repent to you. Turn to me, and I will turn to you. If you repent, God says, I'll repent. I'm not, we, we aren't together. I've moved out. Rome's in charge of you. You turn back to me. I'll turn back to you, and I will come home. There's this notion that when the repentance happens, it will be the sign that Yahweh, too, is turning and coming back to us. And so when John the Baptist says, Repent and receive the baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. What he's not saying primarily is, you know how, you know how you lose your temper a little bit too much. I want you to stop doing that. I mean, this is true. You shouldn't lose your temper. But what he's saying is, is that when the Messiah comes back, there's going to be this great eschatological mass repentance and turning to him. Let's get ready for it right now. Let's start doing it now, so that when he comes here, it'll be happening. And maybe even invoking Malachi 3, verse 7, too. This, when we turn, God himself will turn back to us. 
Now, he, all, he, he emphasizes this too. This repentance is, it's not just like, you know, how do you feel like, you know, God, I want to be sorry for my sins. Will you help me be sorry for my sins? It's actually this whole person, your inside, you know, your thoughts and your emotions, but also your actions, turning away from the things you've normally been doing and readjusting them, orienting, reorienting them to this John the Baptist way of life. Look what he says here in um, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is what the repentance is doing. He's preparing the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, he said, therefore, to the crowds that cannot be baptized in, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So it's not just internally repent, it's bear fruits in keeping with your repentance. Internally repent, but also the things that you do on the outside should be in keeping with that repentance too. Right? So repent. Now, this sounds an awful lot like uh, works, does it not? It sounds like he's saying, here's what you have to do. Here's this list of things that you, and we're going to get here in just a second. The end of the meeting, he actually has practical things that they should do in order to repent. <laughs> Let me explain. So it's about repentance being, uh, you know, not a word. Let me explain repentance this way. Repentance is just the flip side of faith. Right, so, so think of faith. As thinking uh, your salvation is a coin, and faith, you're saved by faith. We, we, we this is what uh, the Bible teaches. This is what we as Christians believe: is that you're saved by faith in Jesus. And that means trusting Jesus to rescue you, to save you, to give you comfort, to give you fulfillment, and those sort of things. The backside of that is repentance. They go together. They are never separate. Now, so, so what I'm saying is this: if you are oriented towards your own way of life. Trusting God for his way of life involves repenting, turning away from your own way of life, and turning towards God. Those two things go together. They can't be separated. Now, here's where we, here's where we uh, get the promise. Is if we think of faith in terms of intellectual ascent only, if you think of faith in Jesus as, oh, yeah, he's son of God, he rose from the dead. I think that that's true. I believe that. And this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But remember that Satan actually believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It does not do him any good. Faith is not mere intellectual assent. Faith is trust. It's reliance. It's giving yourself over to this way of life. So you're turning away from your own way of living... And you're turning and trusting God for his way of living. This is something that you cannot do on your own. Can, can you give up your own? Per, can, can you stop losing your temper on your own? It's possible. I actually can't. I don't have uh, any sort of willpower at all about, about anything. I can't stop myself from doing anything that I want to do. My desires actually control me. I, I realize that at this point in, in my life. I mean, now I can, I, can, I can monkey around with them. Like, I can shift some stuff around on the shelf, you know. I can, um, I can stop smoking if I eat a bunch of chocolate. 
and that sort of thing. But I can't actually change my internal desires. That's something that only God can do. And it's probably, for, for a lot of you, it's not any sort of new news that faith is a gift of God. We know this from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? You can't make faith in yourself. God gives you faith. This is also the case with repentance, which you would expect it to be if faith and repentance are just merely two sides of the same coin. <laughs> repentance is also described in Scripture as a gift of God. Let me give you two examples really quick here. Let me read these to you. One is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul is saying, gently instruct people, praying, in the hope, you're gently instructing these people in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So you can't say, you have to repent. I'm telling you, you have to repent. I mean, you can say that sort of thing. Paul's saying, your best move is to be gentle, praying that God would give them repentance, because you actually can't stir up repentance in yourself. Only God can give that. Here's a sermon from Acts chapter 5. God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring to Israel repentance and forgive their sins. That God might take repentance and put it in our hearts. So repentance like faith is not something that you can manufacture in yourself. It's a gift of God. And what John the Baptist is saying is that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this great event where God, like the Acts chapter 5 sermon, where God turns his people away from their own way of being Israel towards God's way of being Israel. Now, what is that way specifically? Let's look at these examples here. Verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And, and John answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. And that seems like an awfully simple thing to do. It's actually really, really hard. John is saying, True repentance is going to involve social justice. It's going to involve, and this is, this is painful for Americans, it's going to involve not hoarding your money or your food, but giving them to people who don't have that much. If you have two tunics, you should give one of those away. There are people who have none. If you have food, you should give it away. There's people who have none. This is what true repentance looks like. It looks like a shift in your worldview. My worldview as an American is, you go to work, you work hard, you paid for your education, or your parents maybe, a little bit. You showed up at work every day, you studied the books, and now you're making money. And that's your money. You earned that money. This is the American dream. You work hard so that you can earn money. And if somebody comes and says, hey, you have extra money, you should give it to people who don't have money. I, as an American, am going to say, no. They didn't study as hard as me. That's their fault. They, they, they didn't work as hard as me. If you want to have the type of money that I have, you should work hard. You should stay in school and these sorts of things. See, that, that, that's, that's a drug for me. That notion that power and money are the secret keys to the universe. I know, and I, I know I've talked about this a lot, but I'm going to talk about it again. Not, not because I think that you guys like, just need to hear this over and over, but because actually John the Baptist is talking about it. Like, you have to abandon that sort of mindset. This, facing this way, is the American dream. Money. Power. 
You work hard so that you can buy yourself a condo on the Gulf Shore someday. That's the American dream. And John is saying that sort of gospel that you will be satisfied if you have financial stability, that you'll be satisfied if you have a nest egg saved up so that you can retire to someplace a little bit warmer than here someday. That that's sort of like gospel. That's what it is. It's a fake gospel. It's the promise that you will be fulfilled, that you will be saved, that you will be rescued by money or by power. You have to turn away from that. He's not talking about like, you know, just be a little bit nicer. He's actually, the whole way that you think about your life, you're turning and you're adjusting to where Jesus is the gospel. You could be completely poor. You could own one tunic and have no food and still be completely satisfied and happy. That's radical. That's repentance. That's the kind of thing that only God can create in our hearts. To see money, property, power, not as something that saves us, but as gifts that God has given us to give to people who need them. He's going to expand on this a little bit more because tax collectors come to him. Uh, Verse uh, 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Tax collectors in the Roman Empire uh, worked on a bid process. This is, you have the IRS today. You guys should be thankful for that. You should be thankful that there are rules that determine how much money can be taken from you. In the Roman Empire, there were no such rules. You want to be a tax collector? You can be a tax collector. You just have to show up at the bid, and you have to bid the highest to the Roman government. And if you promise the Roman government that this time next year, I can give you $1.2 million out of Glen Carbon, and, and I can only promise 1.1, then you're going to win the bid. And the government's going to show up next year, and they're going to ask for their $1.2 million, and you're going to have to give it to them. And if you want to make any sort of profit, you're going to have to squeeze as much over $1.2 million as you can out of the people. There are no rules. It's a free-for-all. The tax collector will have Herod's soldiers to put the squeeze on you. And as much as he can get out of you, that's what he gets. There's no laws governing this. And Jesus says to these guys, I'm not going to take your job away from you. But whatever the bid is, that's what you get and no more. He's telling them, you're not going to make a profit. You need to give the hopes up of becoming wealthy. Same thing with soldiers. And these two things go go together. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. That was the way that they made money for the tax collectors and probably got a little bit off for themselves. And be content with your wages. He's not saying don't ask for a pay raise. There's no such thing as inflation in the Roman government, in in the Roman Empire. Inflation is non-existent. What he's saying is, is you guys are getting a paycheck from the Roman government to be soldiers. Don't squeeze the people of the land in concert with the tax collectors to make more money. The sign, John says that if you want to be saved, you have to repent and have faith in Jesus. Now, he's not preaching about Jesus here. We'll get to, again, the Gospel of John. He's going to say, there's somebody coming after me who's more worthy than me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes takes away the sins of the world. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Right now, he's saying, no, repent, trust in my message, which is the message of Jesus, and you'll be saved. But don't show up here saying, oh, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. And keep on living the same way. You have to bear fruits keeping with your repentance. And the way those fruits look like is social justice. That will be the sign that God has forgiven you of your sins and that you realize that. That will be the sign that the gospel has grabbed onto your heart. When you give up the the American dream or the Roman Empire dream or the Judean province dream and trust me for the gospel. 
Now, that's the way that they're going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Here's you and I, 2,000 years later, and the call is the same for us. Jesus is going to come back again. And God is calling you and I, this is one of the things that Advent's about. There's three or four big things that Advent's about. This is one of them. God is calling you and I to participate in this preparation of the way. This great engineering project where the road is leveled off. The low places are filled in. The high places are smoothed out. And you and I, Christians, we're building this royal highway. We're part of this engineering project preparing this way for Jesus to return. How are we going to do that? John's telling us here. Give up your American dream and trust Jesus for the gospel. This is not work salvation. I'm not telling you. So you could say, so, okay, so I need to throw a little bit of money in the uh, Salvation Army bin uh, this Christmas and then I'm good to go, right? No, look at what John's doing. There's three elements to this salvation. The one is the baptism. You are completely, you are taking upon yourself the outward sign of God's salvation for you. The second is the inward repentance. Like, you're not just getting baptized, but you're bearing fruits of repentance. You internally are turning away from your way of being human and trusting God for His way of being human. And the third thing is these good works that flow out of that. Can you say, well, I know somebody who does tons of good works, but they're not really a Christian. It's good that they're doing good works. That's super helpful for society. But in God's eyes, if you've got the last thing, if you've got the third thing in the list, but not the first two things, you're not good. What about those of us who are like, oh, I've been baptized. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But our lives have not been transformed by that. It's the same way. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And, And don't show up here saying, well, I'm the seed of Abraham. Don't show up here saying, I've got my baptismal certificate right here. God can dump water on whoever he wants to dump water on. He can turn the rocks into the seed of Abraham. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You have to show the evidence that the gospel has worked in your life. This is not, again, I'm not telling you to do good works for your salvation. I'm saying that if you've been saved, you will do good works. If you've been healed by the gospel, you will turn away. It's never perfect. We're always broken. We're always tempted to drift back to those old idols. The old idols of power and money and influence. But Jesus will be working in our hearts to abandon that way of life and trust him for his way of life. And here's the the thing. When we do this, we will be creating a world that will be recognizable to us and to others when Jesus returns. We will be preparing the new heavens and the new earth. We will be living now like we will live then. The holiness and the righteousness and the justice and the love for others that God will be working in our hearts by our baptisms in Jesus Christ and out through our hearts in actions towards each other in love and in charity will create an environment that will look like the new creation before the new creation gets here. We will be preparing the royal highway. Amen.